Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. My mind, you just wake up and go rake. You have some pieces in the market that affect everybody else that haven't fallen yet. Um, but yeah, I'm confident that I'll have that I'll have the option to, um, or I'll have some offers. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, I'm open to a lot of different things. Uh, I just have to see how the process plays out. Follow at Wake and Rake Pod on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'm kind of a big deal. Here's Danny and Will. Episode one, one, one. Make a wish, Brooksy. Make a wish. Oh, you I do got it? Lots of them. Got it? I got, lo- I got lots of them. Locked. Are you wishing your kids are back at school, I'm guessing? Uh, How did you know that? That's kind of weird. Because <laughs> they are. It's about to come is, true. Um, yeah, that is. Well, you got to see when this... I'm guessing this gets uh, released tonight, this episode. So it would be tomorrow they go back to school. Yeah. If it's if this comes out on Tuesday, they are at school and daddy's having coffee by himself. Maybe a little little bourbon in that? No. 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 Never. Never. No. Got a great episode today, people. Uh, Trevor Bauer is going to be joining today's episode. Former Cy Young pitcher. Went over to the Yokohama Bay Stars last season and is attempting a long, long adventure back to Major League Baseball. A couple factoids that that needs to be mentioned. Uh, Trevor and the San Diego woman have settled their civil lawsuits. His suspension in Major League Baseball is over, meaning he is free to sign and play for any team in 2024 and beyond. Uh, he was 10-4 and four last season with the Bay Stars in the Nippon Baseball League with a 2.76 ERA. 130 strikeouts and 130 and two thirds innings pitch. He last played in Major League Baseball in 2021 before he was released. And now he is in the midst of his adventure back to Major League Baseball. So I'm looking forward to asking a lot of the questions that that everybody's wondering. But that being said, you know, Willie and I kind of share the same sentiment. You know, we're a baseball podcast. We're not investigative reporters. Uh, we're baseball podcasters at the end of the day. And so Will and I are going to be talking ball and asking ball questions. We do understand there's going to be questions related to things outside of baseball that people want answers to. We completely, completely understand that. That's not our platform here. Wake and Rake podcast here is here to t- discuss baseball, and that's exactly what we're going to do. You nailed it. And you know what? He he is one of the interesting free agents on the market this year. Obviously, his story is one thing. Um but there's a lot of interesting things that come along with a player who has won a Cy Young. Yes, it was in 2020, but it's still Cy Young. Uh, a player that signs a, a contract like he did with the Los Angeles Dodgers. A player who goes from that to play in Japan. I want to hear about Japan because I was really close in 2018 to signing um, with the Hanshin Tigers to go play in Japan. I ended up deciding to stay here and play with the Phillies. Um just so I could stay at home because I was ultimately pretty worried about going and playing in a foreign country that far away from home. And so I'm, I'm really pumped to hear about the details of that. That's what I'm really interested in because there's a lot of layers to playing in a different country and being a foreigner and not being able to speak in uh, the language. You don't know what food you're going to eat. There's just all these questions I want to hear about the baseballs, the, the gameplay, all that. So that'll be fun to talk about too. Yeah, let's not waste any more time. We'll bring Trevor in right now. After a two-year absence, Trevor Bauer is attempting to make a comeback in Major League Baseball. After an all-star season, the Yokohama Bay Stars in Japan last season. We all want to know where he's going to be playing in 2024. Trevor, appreciate you taking the time to 
join us here on the Wake and Rake podcast and uh, taking some time out of your training down there in Arizona. How are things? Yeah, things are good. Um, good excuse to to miss an hour of training this morning. So <laughs> I get I, I get to miss the uh, the hardest part, which you know it's welcome sometimes. I'm just going to address the first question. Everybody in the world wants to know where are you playing in 2024? And I know you're going to give me a political answer and I understand that, but I have to ask because that's my job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the answer is, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, at this point in free agency, it's, uh, it's moving slow again this year. Some years like people kind of fly off the board. Some years they don't. Um, so yeah, unsure. A lot of, a lot of uncertainty still in the market actually. How, how do you feel about that $700 million Shohei contract? How insane it's, is that? It's crazy. Um, the structure of it, I feel like, is getting a lot of attention as well. Um, lots to dive into there. I think the, um, the, the number 700 is just wild. Um, I don't think that that's uh, – I don't think it's far off from his value. I thought he was probably worth about that. Um you know, as a pitcher and a hitter, I didn't think he'd get that. I thought he'd get over 500, but nowhere close to 700. So I'm happy to see that he got closer to what I thought he was worth. Um, <laughs> the making 68 million or whatever he's making for 10 years, uh, maybe he'll still be playing for a couple of those years, but most of those years he won't be. Uh, that's pretty crazy. Like, hey, here's a nice retirement gift, 68 million a year. Yeah, no kidding. It, it's genius too as far as like missing out on that 13.3 income tax or whatever it's going to be whenever he's getting those payments because I think, I mean, obviously I'm not an accountant, so I'm not great at this stuff, but I'm pretty sure at, anything deferred after 10 years, he's not going to have to take that state income tax if he's living elsewhere so that yeah. he, he avoids missing out on that as well. Well, who knows what the tax code will be in, in 10 years, also what inflation will be. So you have to weigh the risks. I'm sure his agents did this and put together a whole financial calculation. But yeah, weighing the risks of like, you know, what is what is a dollar worth today? A dollar today, what's it worth in 10 years? Right. Versus like the taxes that you'd pay by claiming it now and investing it and the whole deal. But it's still 700. 700 is like a nice, clean, round number, and it's crazy. And he'll probably double that off the field. So yeah, he'll be... He'll be He'll be okay, I think. Knowing, uh, knowing, yeah, you know, I'm not sure how it's been the last couple of years here in the states, but in Japan, he's massive, massive superstar, like the biggest thing that there could be. So, yeah, he's he's doing fine off the field. That's kind of where I was headed too. Is like, obviously, you just spent a season in Japan. How did the players talk about Shohei there, like within the clubhouse in Japan, as much as you can understand? <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it was hard to it was hard to get all the little like gossip and scuttlebutt that was going on that like you would in an american clubhouse just because the language barrier but um he's on tv every day so like when he was starting they would have his whole game on tv and because of the time difference you'd get to the field and the angels game would be on um you know it would be there like 10 in the morning or whatever the case is um every day highlights of him hitting like full discussions about him on tv and his most recent performance and so naturally when he's on tv that much and the players are watching tv there's lots of discussion about it um so i got asked a couple questions where do you think you'll end up how much do you think you'll get stuff like that towards the end of the year um but yeah i mean he's just it's everywhere jerseys in every little shop as you're walking down the street um advertisements i mean billboards and tv and uh, you know nice watches and you know the whole his face is everywhere 
It's pretty crazy. When you signed your contract with LA back in, was it before the 21 season? Yeah. The contract that you and your team came up with, with Los Angeles and, and essentially agreed upon that at the time was completely new, very, very high AAV shorter in duration, but high average annual value. Shohei kind of went around the, you know, around the bat a little bit too, and found kind of a loophole in the system and the deferment of money. And it was also with the Dodgers. Did you and your team at all look into the deferment or did the Los Angeles Dodgers ever bring up the idea of deferred money with you? Yeah. Um, we looked into deferment. It was a discussion that was, um, that we had, I don't know exactly how, how far those discussions went. Um, my financial team, um, like my accountants and stuff like that, put together a a couple of different options for us uh, for short-term high AAV contracts. Um, ultimately, I felt it was better to take the money up front and um, and not defer it. But uh, the Dodgers seem to be willing to do uh, unique structures like that. Um, I, I know they look at things in like 10-year blocks, five to 10-year blocks and like, where is the team going to be with this player when we sign him? But also where does that leave us in terms of cap and cash on hand and whatever? They're going to have a lot more cash on hand now with Shohei in the next 10 years because they're going to be making a whole bunch of money off the field to your earlier point. Um, but, you know, they, they look at it in, in long-term things, not just in a single off season. I think that's something the fans uh, don't understand sometimes. There's like a decade-long plan going on behind the scenes. So, um yeah, different for different people and, and what their financial goals are. Uh, I know one of the goals with Shoei was to kind of keep the the cost down a little bit to try to help the team sign other people and win. I know he's he's big on winning. So, um, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting structure and something that they're not, you know, the Dodgers aren't, I guess the Dodgers are accustomed to having some some different structures in their contracts. I think yeah, I think there, guys, I think right? there's a lot of ownership groups around baseball too. I mean, obviously the Dodgers are their own entity and like the amount of money they have, but um, they're probably thinking, you know, ten years from now, as far as like luxury tax and the threshold and all that is going to be maybe even gone. Who knows at this point? So they're probably thinking this might not even affect us by the time we're ha we have that money on the books. Yeah. Well, inflation. And, and over the next 10 years, inflation is likely to drive prices of contracts up another, I, I don't know, 25%. Uh, who knows Who knows what it could be? So that $46 million that they're getting hit with in luxury tax, you know, because $46 million of it counts towards luxury tax right now per year, uh, that money that they're getting hit with may look like today's, you know, $32 million or $28 million or something in 10 years. So. Right. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of projections and calculations. Hopefully, inflation doesn't go that crazy, but you know, we'll see. Biggest difference between the negotiations in Japan and the negotiations back here in the states. What is there subtle differences? Big differences? Yeah, um, I think the the way that you go about it uh, is culturally very different. So here, you know, you're going to have the time period where it's like, hey, we think our players kind of worth what these other players got and the team's like, no, we think he's more like these players. And it's very com like comp based uh, system early on. And then you start getting the numbers and people will anchor high and anchor low. And then you'll kind of whittle each other down and up somewhere in the middle. 
um, in Japan, at least my experience, my one, my one uh, free agent experience in Japan was a lot more like, hey, this is what we can do. And it was pretty much just like best offer first. And there's a little bit of wiggle room on some of the off-field stuff, some of the ancillary stuff in the contract. But um, it wasn't nearly as much of like, a, oh, we think they're really low-balling or high-balling um, either on the agent side or on the, the team side. I think that's because in in, um, in Japan, at least, most players don't have agents that deal with the teams in contract negotiations there. When players post and they come to the States, obviously the you know the system here is you have an agent and they do a lot of the negotiation here for you. But my understanding is most players negotiate with the teams themselves in Japan while they're while they're there. Uh, and the teams aren't nearly as predatory um, in contract. They're not trying to get the absolute best deal. There's more of like a collaborative um, working relationship with the player because of that. Because if the player is doing the negotiations and the team, you know, screws the player over or gives that impression, that ruins uh, relationships um, long term. And because free agency isn't quite as big of a thing, like there's definitely free agency in Japan and players jump teams, but it's not nearly as uh, frequent as here in the States. And so a lot of times you see a player that will be with a team for 10 years, 15 years. Um, players may play for two teams, maybe three teams in their in their entire career in Japan. Obviously, there's outliers, but kind of on, on the whole, that's what the system's like. So, um, yeah, and those are some of the differences. Obviously, the, the language barrier is tough because uh, it takes longer in between, um, you know, negotiating rounds because you have to get on the phone and then, they have to share that information with their team and, you know, get it translated and then contracts to review them. You have to get someone that can, you know, read the contract and review it and then write it in English and then translate it back to Japanese and send it to them. Like there's a, there's a lot of delay in there. Uh, so things move a little bit slower, uh, or at least they did with me. Uh, I'm sure it's not the same for, uh, you know, for Japanese players, obviously they, they wouldn't have that problem. So some of the differences I noticed, I'm sure there's more. So outside of, you know, language barrier, uh, food, living, like all that, which is super foreign. Um, is it is it comfortable playing there? Like, I feel like the fans love you. I feel like the fans are respectful. Obviously, that's a cultural thing uh, that's a little different than here because uh, they're all over you here, even your home fans. I mean, you go to – I played for the Phillies. Like, come on, I get yeah. it. Um, I don't know. I just feel like it would be a super comfortable place to play outside of – just like I said, the language barrier and having to go to a new country. Yeah. Um, there's, there's like parts that are more comfortable and more enjoyable. There's parts that are less comfortable and less enjoyable. Um, so less parts that are less comfortable. So I'll just start there to get those out of the way. The stadiums that we play in are very old. A lot of them, um, stadiums that have been there for a hundred years, uh, Jingu Stadium, I think, has been there over a hundred years. It's is that Han is it Hanshin? Hanshin is um, uh, Koshien. That one's been uh, there for almost a hundred years, I believe. Yeah, about a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, for for American fans, they can think like Fenway or or Wrigley. Um, but uh, yeah, Jingu Stadium is super old as well. They've done some renovations and stuff, but because of that, the locker rooms aren't uh, what a locker rooms here in um in the states are a lot of them are kind of just like the metal lockers set on the floor um 
there's not the the level of like clubby involvement a lot so like rig wrigley 2015 away side is what yeah, yeah 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 okay okay got <laughs> but, it. a little bit a little bit worse i mean so in, in america you have <clears throat> excuse me um you know you have food in the clubhouse you have a clubby that's like doing all the laundry unpacking your bags hanging your clothes up for you if you need extra gear there's someone or a group of people that are there that you go and you ask uh for extra gear um you know a lot of times in japan there's not uh, there's not a clubby there uh, with you. Laundry kind of gets shipped out and done um, and then brought back to the field. So sometimes you'll wear stuff and you won't get it back for two days. So you have to pack your own bags according to like, okay, well, I'll need like two separate sets of equipment. Um, <clears throat> there's not there's not food in the clubhouse nearly as frequently. There's like a pregame meal, um, but sometimes like dinner at the clubhouse is not there or like a you know, when you get to the field, your, your lunch or something like that on, at home, sometimes it is on the road, sometimes, sometimes not. Are so you just expected to bring your own stuff or like, how does that eat before you go? How, how does that work? Yeah. A lot of people like bring their own lunch uh, or they'll order stuff into the field. Um, sometimes like guys will leave the field after BP and go to like a local little spot, eat and then come back. Um in the morning, like all your laundry on the road gets done at the hotel. And so you go to and from the hotel in team gear, you shower at your hotel, you, uh, you know, dress at the hotel. A lot of times you can do it the American style and dress uh, at the field. But most guys kind of go on the bus in shorts or in their uniforms, um, stuff like that. So there's a couple different quirks on that front. But as far as like, uh, I can't speak for other organizations, obviously, but with the base stars, they made the they made it as comfortable as possible for, for me. Um, they have six translators on staff, three Spanish, Japanese, three English, Japanese. Um, so I think we only had seven, maybe, maybe less than that actually. Uh, but I think like four, maybe five, uh, English speaking players yeah, so i was looking all... at the roster you're on I was, i mean obviously you're limited right to how many you can have right corners. right yeah there's a limit of seven i think in the organization and like five active in the big league squad at any given time really? um, yeah i didn't realize why do they do that just because they want to try and keep it organic yeah they look at npb as like japanese baseball for japanese uh players and so they don't want to i mean obviously you look here in the states and like some rosters are so heavily shifted towards foreign players that, you know, it's like a, you know, a Latin all-star team sometimes uh, nothing wrong with that, but <laughs> we um, just talked about this on our last pod. Danny was like all the best players in the world are from different countries now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And it's great for baseball. Um, but just in, in, in Japan, they look at it as like, okay, this is Japanese baseball and for, for Japanese people. Um, so yeah, from a translation standpoint, from a language barrier standpoint, it made they made it as easy as it as it could be. Um, they also take care of like foreign player living there, so they uh, put you up in a in a hotel or a place. I didn't have to go find an apartment, which would have been a nightmare. Nice. Like oh. rent, you know, rent um, um, furniture or or stuff like that. Um, the fans are great. Like the stadiums are sold out basically every game. I mean. Some of the teams that were like 20 games below 500 may not have sold out some games towards the end of the year, but on, on whole, the, the stadiums are sold out and it's like a European soccer match. Like 
bands, flags, just nonstop bands, nonstop cheerleaders, right? Yeah, cheerleaders. Yeah. Um, they, so, and I think that's one of the main differences. Like in NPV, all the, the teams make all their money on in-person attendance. So yeah. beer sales, merch sales, ticket sales. And so you have to compete for the fans' dollar to come to your game and not go to someone else's game. Um, they don't have any national TV deals in Japan for baseball. They have Each team has their own kind of local TV deal or local streaming setup. Um, but the majority of their money is made on in-person attendance. So they do a lot of fan engagement stuff. There's, you know, music, there's, you know, races. You can think of it a little bit more like a, a minor league game vibe, not saying that it's minor league, but, you know, minor league stadiums do a lot more fan engagement stuff yes. in between innings. And there's a lot more of that in, um, in NPB fireworks shows after every home game in, uh, in Yokohama. So they'd have concerts, like they'd get large, I think like your biggest Japanese music star, like think of like Taylor Swift was to come to, you know, Boston to do a concert after the game on a Thursday night or something. Right. Um, so they, they have a lot of fan engagement stuff that goes on, which makes the atmosphere for playing really cool. Cause the fans are into the game. They pay attention to the game. They know baseball. They like baseball. Um, they know They're loyal. They seem super loyal to the team too. Very loyal. It's yeah. really cool. And it's yeah. easy to do when you have guys, like you said, free agency is not crazy. It's not super fluid. Guys are staying there. I think this all goes back to just the cultural difference where maybe you're not chasing the dollar or yeah. the, whatever, but uh, yeah. it seems less commercial. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They have um, that, but in, in a way more commercial, like, part of the part of making money on each of the games is they sell like sponsors of the game so they'll have like five or six different companies that will sponsor that game so at the end you have a hero they usually choose like two or three heroes of the game if you win especially at home um so they'll put you up on a stage and then the sponsors will present a gift so like one of the days i got a massive like tuna stuffed animal as like the hero award <laughs> but it, it was from a tuna company, like a fishing company. And so they actually gave me a tuna. So I had like 40. Uh, so it was like each. Uh, <laughs> there's like three different types of tuna that they gave and like 40 packages of three different tuna fillets. So I had like 120 tuna fillets frozen <laughs> as like the gift for winning that for that game and performing well. And so in a way, there's like a, a lot more like commercial involvement and sponsoring each individual game, paying the team for the opportunity to be out there and have your gift seen on TV and the broadcast and everything. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's different stuff. It's pretty cool. Do they still do like the big incentives as far? Now you're talking about the sponsor you give you a gift if you're like the MVP of the game, the hero of the game. Do they still do like money gifts yeah. for, yeah, that's pretty cool. Can't, uh, yeah, don't want to say like too much about yeah. it because it's kind of like a, a thing but um yeah there's you know a manager's gift and a, um something they call fight money and so sometimes right. the, the organization will incentivize players for winning streaks or you know whatever how how was your relationship with the manager because i feel like you watch all these like movies about japanese baseball and all you know and it seems like the managers are so just like stern and strict and is that the case or are they fun 
I guess it and, depends on the individual, but yeah, it depends. So we had, um, I think our manager just turned 50 a month, uh, like a couple, like a week ago, maybe I forget exactly the time kind of flies, but, uh, he got done playing like eight years ago or whatever. Um, so he's kind of up to date on the current, you know, how, how NPB is, how players are right now. He's not too far removed. And so he was great. Um, he was, you know, past the language barrier which it's hard to tell like intonation and like jokes and stuff like that because they don't really translate perfectly um but he was awesome like uh practices were super loose super like just let the players go make everyone feel comfortable like encouraging not uh demeaning but there are some i've talked to like foreign players on other teams and they're like oh managers like stuck in 1960 or whatever and um not saying that that's bad. I don't want to like, you know, demean anyone, but like that's the games evolved and players have evolved. And so there's, there's uh yeah, I think it depends on, on the individual, but um, yeah, I didn't, I was a little bit scared about that. Like, Hey, am I going to have to do like all the team's conditioning and like, you know, cause you just throw 200 pitch bullpens and some you right. know, a bunch of poles, some of the stories that you've heard from Japan over the years. I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if that's going to mesh with like what my routine has been, but they were they're like, hey, as long as you're working out and you're performing well, like, do you think? Um, and it was kind of that way for all the foreign guys. Everyone kind of had their own program based on what they what, what worked for them. So coaching staff was great, yeah. So it's, I just wanted, like, a few questions on, like, the gameplay, and then we can get into some other <laughs> stuff. But, like, obviously it's a different game there, right? They play small ball. They move. They hit behind guys. They move guys over. They bunt. Um, did you feel like you had to change your style of pitching because they're so contact first over there. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as much the contact first as it was the swing planes. Um, so because of that, because it's contact first, they really value putting the ball in play and running. It's a speed game mm-hmm. um, over hitting for power. Part of that is because the ball there is slightly different. Like it just doesn't travel as far. It's softer. Um so there's less homers hit, even though the stadiums are a little bit smaller than. Well, than unless big. you're Willie Mopena, like you're trying to hit a double. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's some guys that that bop for sure, but not as many as you know here in the states. Um, so the, the swings are a lot flatter, uh, and so because of that, up and down works better than left to right. Okay. Uh, they also value not striking out, so like they will go out of the zone with you by a foot and a half to make contact they'll like foul a ball off that's eight inches inside um, off the plate. They'll hit balls that bounce. And if they put them in play, they try to beat it out, like stuff like that. So a flat swing plane with the ability to make contact with flat swing plane, you can kind of like reach out or you can handle left to right in and out a lot better than you can handle up to down. Once you get on that flat plane, any ball that's breaking down uh, is going to be tough to, to hit. I feel like um, if you're a ground ball guy, like that's going to be to your advantage, not only because they're not trying to lift the ball, like they, they're okay hitting the ball on the ground, but I feel like the infielders, defense is so important over there. And infielders yeah. are just so fundamentally perfect. It's like if you put the ball on the ground, it's like you're out. Yeah. Well, there's a counterpoint to that because the like the game is so much faster and they don't shift. So is it legal to shift? It's legal to shift. Uh, I think there may be some parameters around it, 
but think about, so they don't have the data as much because there's only 12 teams and you don't play uh, the, you don't play six of the teams, but three, three weeks out of the year. So you're playing five teams in your division over and over, but there's just not that much data overall on these hitters. So they just play straight up a lot unless they play play straight up a lot. Are you on a lot of turf too? So it's quicker. Yeah. I think only two, I think I only played two grass fields. Okay. I think there's a couple more, but yeah, mostly turf because it rains a lot in Japan. So guys are really fast and they, they run hard to first nonstop. There's no like hit the ball on the ground, like, oh, I'm out and just, you know, jog to first. And they're like busting their ass the whole time. And so if a ball takes an infielder two or three steps in the hole, like it's going to be a close play. So a lot of balls get through the infield. Um, so in America where I'm a lot more like lateral, like I, I use my sweeper a lot more uh, and generates a lot of swing and miss. Um, I had to shift to using my curveball a lot more because of that, the up and down splits are huge in Japan. Everyone throws a split. So I developed a split. That's what I was going to ask next. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so I had to adjust my, my sights a little bit. And then they, they catch balls at the top of the zone a lot better because of the flat swing plane. Also, everyone in Japan has like a true backspin fastball. So you're 18 to 20 inches of lift that might make a fastball elite in America is like prime hitting area for, um, you know, in Japan, because everyone's taught to be like, you know, throw dead backspin fastballs from the moment they're, they start playing baseball. So I had to shift, I had to shift some stuff around a little bit as I learned the league and learned the hitters. Good point. That's an, that's maybe another reason Otani gets to that pitch so well, because he's just like, it's, it's not out of the ordinary for him to see a spin at the top of the zone. Yeah, he's like, yeah, this is three miles an hour harder than it was in Japan, but like the movement profile is not. But like his eyes tell him like this is going to stay up, not come yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Can you talk a little bit more about the consistency and substance of the ball in Japan compared to a major league baseball? Baseball. Yeah, so I, it's hard to it's hard to tell on an, on an individual ball to ball basis. Um, I can give you some like general things that I noticed. I in America, there's oftentimes where you get a ball and you're like, mm, and you just throw it out because like it's lopsided or the seam mm-hmm. is weird or it feels heavy or something like that. So you can definitely tell there's, you know, two or three times if you watch a game closely that a pitcher will just like throw a brand new ball out. I didn't really see that at all in Japan. The consistency of the ball seemed to be higher, but it is slightly so it's slightly squishier, like I said earlier. Um, that's because of, like I've cut a couple of them open. Um, if you ever cut a baseball open, you know that there's like two types of yarn on a, on a big league baseball. There's this kind of like dark, thicker wool. And then there's a very thin white like uh, string. And so that thin white string will be wrapped around the wool on the outside on American on the American ball to create like a harder outer shell and make the ball harder and it'll, you know, it, it flies further. Um, in Japan, it's all the, the dark wool um so all the way up to the leather all the way to the leather yeah okay. and there's no like hard outer shell so that's really like the main difference in the ball itself um the distance between like if you're holding a two-seam fastball the distance between your fingers is actually greater in japan the the leather is a little bit wider on that part of the ball than america it's a little bit narrower mm-hmm. the seam height is about the same um the seam like the the thickness of the seam like how wide the actual red seams are are, it's a little bit thicker in on the Japanese baseball than the American baseball. 
the ball feels slightly bigger. Um, the Japanese ball does compared to the American ball. Probably because of the seams too, right? Like that's, yeah, nothing that it's makes almost it... like they're trying to help players grip the baseball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. and the, the leather is a little bit tackier. Um, yeah. Now maybe that's because of the humidity in Japan. That's there's just more humidity in the air, and so the ball soaks a little bit more of it up. But um, they don't use rosin at all there. They use like uh, the rosin bag is like weight room chop, so there's no there's no like grip enhancer like weight room chalk it'll get like a little bit tacky but nothing that makes like spin rate change right like, there's not even any like sunscreen rosin stuff going on there's no like pine tar or whatever um and guys have no problem they just grab a brand new baseball out of the package and rip it do they have any like uh mandates or crackdowns on checking guys like obviously we check there's nothing but are there guys trying to i i watched yeah. and no, I mean everyone just uses the the chalks. It's kind of funny they'll go and like they'll get the chalk bag, like pretty frequently, and then when they throw, you see this big poof of like, yeah coming off their hand when they throw. That's the a sound barrier, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with Roki Sasaki. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. All right, Japan sounds amazing. I don't know why you'd ever want to leave, but I'm assuming everything we know now, you're trying to get back to the states for obvious reasons. So let's say hypothetically. You know, a month from now, two months from now, and a major league baseball contract hasn't come to fruition. What's plan B for you? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Okay. <laughs> I haven't really like thought that far uh, in advance. I mean, obviously, the baseball in Japan is great. I have nothing, nothing negative to say about the experience there. Um, I, it is somewhat isolating, uh, just culturally. You're in a completely different culture. It's hard to communicate with people because, you know language barrier um so you know i prefer to play uh this year you know back home and be around friends and family and the culture that i'm used to um but we gotta see how free agency plays out we gotta see what the landscape looks like and then i'll make a decision closer to that to that time i haven't tried to i've tried to not get too far ahead of myself because <laughs> the last couple of years like if i think too much towards the future i just get you know really depressed so um, i'm trying to handle things like in the moment and and just kind of take them as they come this is the last one i'll sorry willie this is the last oh, one i'll hammer over the head because the willie answers or willie asked the fun questions about grips and and pitches and stuff i like getting down to the nitty-gritty all right like do you there's only so much you can share i understand that do you have any major league baseball contract offers on the table right now uh we've talked to some teams we don't have any yeah. like offers right now um but that's not abnormal for this time in uh the free agent process so uh the one time i went through it which was uh 20 you know before the 2021 season we didn't have any offers like actual terms of a contract until middle of january and that was coming off having one Cy young and um different circumstances for sure but uh these things tend to get done like very quickly later in the off season. So agents will talk to teams. Um, they'll kind of get a sense, some, you know, kind of that courtship process that I mentioned earlier. Oh, we're thinking he's like this guy, or oh, we're thinking like this or whatever. No one talks in like direct terms. And then in the span of like 48 hours, it'll be like, okay, we have this offer. We need an answer by this time. And we have that offer and we're talking to this person and it just gets super hectic out of nowhere. So uh, I'd anticipate things picking up, you know, second, third week of January as 
uh, teams really start setting their rosters for spring training. So you're well, pretty the confident. Snells, then. The Snells and the Montgomerys and all these guys still out there with, without a yeah, contract. Yeah, I mean, you have, Shota, like... you have Shota Imanaga, who's posting data. You know, that, that's coming up. He's obviously a big piece in the market. You have yeah. domestic pieces with Snell having just won the Cy Young. I imagine he's going to sign fairly late because, you know, he's trying to uh, – I'm assuming he's trying to maximize, you know, value, and teams are going to be resistant to that until it's right at the end. So you have some pieces in the market that affect everybody else that haven't fallen yet. Um, but yeah, I'm confident that I'll have, that I'll have the option to, um, or I'll have some offers. So we know what country you're going to be playing in most likely, at least optimistically speaking. Right. And actually that I should rephrase. We have a team in Canada as well. (laughs) So we do. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that we know, you know, much of anything, uh, right now. Um, I certainly don't. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, I'm open to a lot of different things. Uh, I just have to see how the process plays out. All right. You the, mentioned the fun interviewer. Oh, go I got I got I got to ask this. You reminded me of something I wanted to ask you because we have a lot of Boston fans that, that follow this podcast and I because I work in Boston, too. Um, Shota Imanaga, you, you mentioned him. You were teammates with him. Mm-hmm. What do you like? What does he project as here? Like, like in my mind, he's like a three. Uh, like, does his style of pitching does that play? He's a fly ball pitcher, and I feel like that's that's tougher over here for those guys. Um, I think. Do you, I do think, you think his stuff would play here well? Yeah, I think what people miss though when they talk about him being a fly ball pitcher is that that's fly ball pitcher in Japan, where it's hard to generate fly balls because the swing planes are flat and people are trying to hit the ball. So you think top. he's getting above barrels here? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I, his fastball, like he averages over 20 inches of vert on his fastball. I've seen him up to 24 or something. Like, I think I saw one at 25 um, and he's got impeccable command of it. So I think he's going to miss a lot of barrels. I think he led the league in strikeouts last year, at least the league I was in. Um, we were kind of neck and neck. I did I saw where he had the 15 strikeout. Yeah. 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 But uh, so he's, He's very like fastball heavy when his fastball is ninety four. Super into righties, right? Like glove side. Yep, and he yeah. and he he uh, he'll cut a ball, and he's got a cutter as well. He pounds righties in and up, um, but he's he's ha- he's fastball dominant, and I think his fastball is going to play here, uh, movement profile wise. Um, the one question is how it holds up over the course of a season on a five day rotation. Exactly velocity when the velocity goes down to like 91 92 um it's a lot more hittable when it's 95 and he's crisp like people aren't going to be hitting his fastball here um breaking stuff is good i don't know how uh i don't know how the changeup will play here it's a good pitch keep reading Uh, all the stuff i want to ask you that's cool yeah his uh (laughs) he throws a slider like a sweepy slider which is good is that I mean, like his put out, like his, his put away pitch? His changeup is more of his like from, from an off speed perspective. Um, but his fastballs is his put away pitch. If yeah. you watch, I guess you get hitters like so dialed in, like you think in like a John Lester, where you're like, I gotta get the head out. Like ninety eight percent of his pitches are inner half or off to me, and then yeah. changeup runs down and away on you. You know, yeah. Big leaders aren't going to be scared of the velocity because the velocity is not like an overpowering 101 like guys are seeing every single day, but they're going to miss hit the ball nonstop um, because of the the profile on the fastball. Yeah, uh, if he can if he can maintain uh, you know that 93 to 94 range, 
across the whole season. He'll be very good. Um, if it, if it drops down, I have a little bit of concern. We'll see how it plays out. Not saying he won't be good, but, um, it's just, it's not the same when it's 91 versus when it's 94, but he cares a lot. Like he, he really cares. He's very inquisitive. He works hard. Um, like he cares. So I have no doubt that even if he struggles a little bit in the first year with some of those mm-hmm. things, if there's an adjustment to the league or if there's an year adjustment. one is always tough for those guys, especially yeah. for pitchers going from six man to five man. I mean, we had yeah. Masataki Yoshida in Boston last year was really good through like the first 115 games. And then just, whew, he was exhausted. The travel. I mean, we didn't even hit on the travel, uh, how much tougher the travel is in MLB. Let's, let's, let's touch on that for a second. In Japan, the longest trip that I had was four hours and it was by bullet train. There was no elevation. You show up, the train runs on time. You're in a first class seat and you just show up. Time zones too, right? Like time zone difference, nothing. In America, obviously, like if you end up playing with the Mariners, the travel is a lot different than if you end up playing with like, you know, the Indians or something or the the Guardians. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're on a plane, you have elevation change, time zone change. You're traveling at night after games, your sleep schedule gets all messed up. Like, it's it's different. Like it's hard to get through, and you don't have you don't have breaks in Japan. You have a day off every single week, plus pitchers get a day off in their schedule. So, like you can take Mondays off, or you can take uh, your second day <clears throat> in the rotation off. So you get a lot of time to just like be at home and, and relax, and the travel isn't stressful. Uh, it's not that's not the way it is here. Plus, I struggle a little bit with the food. I'm sure they struggle with the food, what they're used to coming here to America. So what you're used to from a recovery standpoint, a nutrition standpoint, a fueling standpoint, it's it's different when you get into a different culture. So there's a lot of there's a lot of adjustments that have to be made. And I have a I have a lot of respect for the guys that come over and do that, even more so now. Like I always knew it was hard. You're like, oh, that's gotta be hard, but you don't like you don't feel it until you do it. And you're like, okay, wow, that's that is that's very hard. We focus on players like their routine. You think about like, oh, this guy's routine. You're thinking about like Masa's uh, cage routine, his stretching, his workouts. You don't realize that whole routine, half of that is away from the field. Yeah. Like you're sleeping, you're eating, you're traveling, all that. And you have to find an entire new routine. So yeah. you've been doing the same thing for 10 years straight. And now you have to completely change it. Oh, yeah. And I can't communicate with anybody but the guy that travels with me. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's a lot. And one of the, one of the things that goes unnoticed is the time difference. And so your, your friend group, your peer group, the people you go to after a bad game or a good game to celebrate it or to, to rehash it, the people that are, you know, your, your support group, like you can't talk to them. The the time difference is so, uh, it's like polar opposite. So I would, my eight hours of free time per day were from like midnight to 8am in the States. So I just couldn't talk to anyone. So it's, that, that affects you over the course of the season too, from a mentality standpoint, a happiness standpoint as a person, which obviously affects your on-field stuff as well. What would your ideal landing spot be? Ideal landing spot, man. Uh, <clears throat> well, I care about winning. So uh, a team that is in contention. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I live, I, I spend a lot of time in Arizona with, uh, with momentum. Um, D-backs be be around the, the the guys in the morning. You know, 
make fun of Eric for a couple hours and then go <laughs> work. Um, Tori, Tori Lavella was our bench coach in Boston in 2013, and he is just – you would love him. I've never, a, heard a, I've never heard a negative thing about the guy. He Everybody's is the him. most positive, like – he's a great communicator. He just – I wish I had him as a manager. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, I've heard I've heard the same sentiment from multiple people that have played for him throughout the years, whether in a managerial capacity or like a like a he's had a coach or bench coach. But um, yeah, Arizona would be a good spot. I I would enjoy that. Um, you know, you'd go from not seeing the not seeing the boys every day uh, for a year to seeing them literally every day during the season would be kind of cool. But again, like I, I want to win. It doesn't matter to me. Like yeah. you know. I want to win. I want to contribute to a team. I want to pitch at the highest level. Um, so wherever I end up, I'm I'm cool with it. How? I'll hold on, Dan. I got another fun one. Uh, the the uh, train. So it's momentum, right? Like where you train, where you're facing live hitters, where you are facing sims. <laughs> like yeah. those are some of my favorite videos floating around the internet. Just watching you carve these guys up. Yeah. But uh, how? Tell me a little bit about that place, just because. Do you, you, is it like an all in one? You lift, you hit, you pitch, you do everything there? Yeah. So, break down have, video, obviously. I've seen that too. Yeah. Yeah. We run two companies out of there. We have the, um, we think of it as like a content studio. So, we have this building and we film all sorts of stuff that's going on in there. But inside the building is like, is baseball. So, we run Momentum, the media company, and we run 4App, the analytics baseball training company out of there. So, we have like, right now, I think we have like 22 guys that are in there every day. Uh, minor league guys, big league guys, they come in, they train um, pitchers, hitters, so do strength and conditioning, uh, nutrition, recovery. We have a full recovery room, uh, sauna, cold tub, float tank. Is it very driveline like the way you uh, run it? It's uh, yeah. so the the building is called closed to the public, so we don't allow any. We don't we don't take people like you know high school kids or. Um, just anyone that wants to walk in and pay, we it's don't charge guys. Exclusive. Yeah. yeah, we don't charge the guys anything to train there. Um, as long as they're cool with being in content, that's like that's the agreement. Okay. And we're it's by invite only. So we want like a an environment of guys that are like really getting after it, that really care, that are bought into the to the program. And then yeah, when we do like you know pitch design stuff, which I pioneered and really invented, I've been doing it for shoot. 12 years, 13 years at this point, something like that. So I helped the pitchers with their pitch design stuff. We got a couple of hitting coaches that come in that help the hitters with their swings and whatever. Um, but we just have a, we have a good time. Uh, we have a strength coach on staff, Tim. He's, he's great. Um, really knows his stuff, uh, recovery training, like the whole, the whole deal. And then we run the, the analytics out of there as well. So we're able to provide like in-season in scouting and, uh, attack plans and evaluation of guys need something during the season and they're not getting into their team. Like, you know, we have guys on staff for that. So do you, do you like outsource like physical therapy or do you have that in house or for guys? Yeah, we, uh, we got a couple of connections here in the area. So if guys need it, we can either send them to the, to the guy's office or sometimes we'll have him, we'll have him come in, uh, massage, physical therapy, you okay. know, manual, manual work, whatever. Um, so really like I, in designing the place, I thought of it as like, I know, what what are all the things that I like about in season in the clubhouse, um, and then let's try to put that, you know, in a in a building in in one spot where guys can come and get like the level of care that they have in season in the off season, but with the added benefit of like 
you don't have to play you're just training like let's see how how much we can increase performance in the three months because as you know like you don't get a whole lot of time to train skill sets it's like you're playing and then you're like ah, i need some time off and then you're like shoot i got to be ready for spring training so anything we can do to maximize that uh that learning curve is you guys kinda... like really push each other in there too as far as competition and that's yeah. that's something a lot of guys a lot of big leaguers don't get in the off season because yeah. they're it's kind of a lose-lose if you're like, man, let me go face these college guys. Yeah. You now it's like they carve you up. You're like, man, I feel like an asshole, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you haven't been hitting and they're like right. two two months into their season. But yeah. um, that's good because you guys are able to take live at-bats, face live hitters, yeah. obviously get immediate feedback on data, which yeah. is nice. Um, I don't know. It's just I, That's a place I would have loved to have trained. Maybe I'll make a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we try to think about it in, in those exact terms. I mean, I think if you look at our hitters from the past couple of years, when they go to spring training, they're really outperforming a lot of the guys around them because they've been hitting for a month and a half. And they, we got like, shoot, I think I'm one of the slowest throwers in the entire gym. Um, you know, we got, uh, we got guys that are throwing 95, 98 regularly, like just flicking the balls up there, you know, cruising there. And so you know, our hitters, we have like five or six hitters, I think, I think six training with us right now. Um, so when pitchers throw live at bats, you know, they're getting five, six at bats a day um, off of like premium stuff. So they can work on like in a game environment and uh, they go to spring training, you know, really well prepared and kind of ahead of where other people are, which gives them a great opportunity to make a, you know, a level above where they were last year. That's kind of what we're, you know, what we try to help out with. Do you have hitting coaches there or is it just like, I know it's, I feel like it's pitching heavy just because yeah. it's you and you, but like, do you have any like hitting instructors there for the hitters or are they kind of just on their own? Not, not on staff, but we have guys that come in, I think three or four days a week, guys that just love doing like hitting instruction. Who Johnny uh, Gomes or <laughs> Johnny's been in, uh, yeah, I know. Eric Gagne has been in, but um, no, we gotta, I don't want to like, I don't want to say names necessarily because, you know, they're guys are working in other organizations or, you know, whatever their situations are, but they'll come in and they, they talk hitting, feed the machine, work on stuff, drills, this, that, and the other, just because cool. in the off season, those guys aren't doing much. And like, they just, they love working with guys. And so they come in and get to work with guys and work on their skill of being a coach and stuff, but also the hitters out. So it's a pretty good scenario. Sweet. Willie. Um, I could probably pick his brain for another two hours, but he's probably got training to get back to. So <laughs> he already thanked uh, us for getting him out of that. It's like, yeah, it's like, like Monday. It's I should ask him. Yeah. I should ask him, like, do you want to go back to training or we got probably a thousand <laughs> more questions to ask you? It's up to you, I guess. I got like 10 or 15 more minutes. I, I do have to get in and actually throw. I haven't, I've been sick for a week and over Christmas, I haven't thrown in like 10 days. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta keep the arm moving today, but yeah, I can go for another 10 or 15. All right, I'll ask you one. So uh, there was a report out there that you got sent down to the minor leagues when you were in Japan. There was some falseness. You're just full of great questions, Danny. You're just full of joy today. What, what, I love what did I tell you? I, you asked the fun questions. I'm kind of the asshole here. So, <laughs> and, and that's fine. I'll wear that hat um, proudly. <laughs> there was a report out there that you got sent down to the minor leagues. But that, uh, from what we understand, there was some, some falseness to that report. Um, do you mind just clarifying the report that you got sent down to the minor leagues in Japan? Yeah. So um, the system 
surrounding rainouts in Japan is they handle rainouts a lot differently than they handle them here in the States. So, and, and this law makes sense once I tell you what, what actually happened while I'm talking about rainouts. But in the States, if a game gets rained out, the starter for that day usually just gets pushed to the next day. It's like, okay, it's Saturday, the game got rained out, you'll pitch the first game of the doubleheader on Sunday. Um, they don't have doubleheaders in Japan. So if a game gets rained out, they just skip it. And then they play it. There's like a two week span of blank space after the season where all oh, the wow. will get will get scheduled. So they just skip the game and go to the next day. Well, they've already told someone that they're starting the next day. And the way they handle it is there's not like a set rotation. It's like you pitch. The next day, the manager says, hey, are you feeling healthy? If yes, then he says, I want you to pitch on this date. It could be, usually it's, you know, if you pitch on a Tuesday, it's the next Tuesday. Um, but sometimes it's 10 days in between starts. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's eight. Um, it's not like a set, like strict rotation like we have in the States here. So what happened is my game got rained out and I was scheduled, you know, obviously to pitch on that day. So they said they're going to skip and have me pitch the following rotation. Um, so it, it had been six days since my prior start. And then they said it was going to be another six days till I pitched. So I was going to have 11 days off in between starts. I was like, okay. This, so they, they asked me like, where, you know, when do you want to throw your bullpens? What days do you want to do it? Whatever. And I was like, well, can I just go pitch like in the minor leagues, make a start, throw my six innings and stay sharp. I don't get nearly as much out of bullpens as I get out of actually pitching in a game. Um, and the way the minor league system there works, there's no like options or like DL time or is it called a developmental league or like what is it called? What's it called? I feel like it's called something different. Yeah, there's so they um, have a developmental team, like they have three digit, that's what I was thinking. Three digit players. So it's like a developmental, and then they have like I just call it minor league because that's how it makes sense for me. Um, but players will shuffle up and down throughout the year. Like if someone gets hurt and has like a little minor like 10 day type thing, there's no 10 day IL. They just get sent down to the minor leagues to rehab. A lot of times the team won't even announce that they have some little nagging thing going on. It's just like, like you'll have like the guy, the best player who's hitting like 360 for the year and hits fourth every single game. He'll just go down for like 10 days and like work He's on got a hammy or, you know. Yeah, or like, you know, he's he struggled for like a week and his swing's not feeling right. So he'll just like go down, work on his swing for like five or six games and like come back. This is, we need to adopt this. I love so, that. Yeah. Because so, then I would have got to sit down way less. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been like, no, 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 I'm just sore. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. that I punched out, you know, 21 of my last 25 bets. Yeah. No. So there's, there's not really a stigma over getting sent down or not nearly as much as there is here in the States. It was not like a punishment. So I, get rained out and I asked to go down and pitch. So I go down two days later, I pitch and throw my six innings and then came back up and pitched the next start when I was originally scheduled to pitch. Now, the reason it got reported that way is one, people don't understand the the difference in, in how it works, but two, the two starts before that I had given up seven. And so I had three really bad innings. I gave up like four in the sixth inning of a start and then I gave up seven in the first two innings of my next start and just got like terrible luck. Everything was a hit homers at the wrong time, whatever. Right. And so everyone's like, Oh, he got sent down. And that's not, that's not at all the case. Um, but of course, you know, it was, you know, every time I gave up a homer or I got sent down or had a bad start, it was newsworthy. So it was reported here, but 
you know, the, all the good stuff, um, you know, winning MVP of the month, two out of the three full months that I pitched there, you know, after those two bad starts, I had a one nine for the rest over like 127 innings for the rest of the year, uh, you know, throwing 10, 10 innings shutout, all these different things being an all-star, like didn't seem to be reported as much. Yeah. I was going to say a 10 and four record two seven six ERA. If they're setting you down, kind of questioning the the organization at that point you know well at that point i had an eight like an eight seven or something like that yeah uh i'd given up four uh, 13 or 14 runs in 15 innings um as, mind you those are my first 15 innings back from not pitching competitively for a year and a half right um in a brand new league and i got there a week before the season started and had a little minor injury that i that nagged for like a week and a half or two weeks so then I had three minor league outings coming off a slight injury. <laughs> I threw like, uh, I think it was two, four, five. So I think I threw 11 innings uh, in spring training and then just got bumped into like, all right, here you go. Like go, go win a go game. Get them, kid. Um, so, you know, not that I feel like I, you know, needed more of an adjustment, period. I think I just got really unlucky with the sequence of events and, and whatever my Babbitt, by the way. So batting average on balls in play generally hangs out in like the 280 range, 300, maybe was 700 for those. Oh. Games. So seven out of 10 balls put in play were, were hits. So there's a lot of stuff that went on, but after that, you know, uh, I went from an eight, seven ERA to, I think I got it down to two, seven, six. If you take those three innings out of it, I had a one nine for for the year. Uh, I threw 130 innings in three months, <laughs> so I was on pace for two sixty over a course of a whole season. Jeez. Yeah, I think Logan Webb led the National League last year with like 170 or something like that. Yeah, 160. Yeah, and uh, mind you, like the most innings thrown in Japan every year is like 150 or 160 because guys go once a week and they're going, you know, there's seven innings, six, seven innings, but they only make 24 starts. So if you go seven innings and you make 24 starts, you're looking at 168 innings. What's the most innings you went here when, when you were in MLB? Uh, nine. Yeah. No, I just mean like in a, well, in a season. Oh, in a season, two, 211, I think. Um, 211, okay, geez. In uh, 2019, I believe. I mean, Glass now just got broke off, and he had a career high last year of 120. Yeah. So it's like yeah. – He's got to stay healthy. I, yeah. I know starters are viewed a lot different now. Like, the, we get, I get that. I mean, there's yeah. a reason the bullpen's paid how they're paid now. Yeah. And analytics, you know, having the, the part in the game that they do. Yeah. But um, – yeah, I mean, you throw it's, 160 innings now, you're considered a workhorse. So yeah, no, it's different in Japan because they still look at starters like it's your game, and the bullpen is there as a, as a true supplement, not like a a dominant. Okay, once we get into the six, let's shut it down with the back end. Um, so it took me a while to like convince them that I could pitch every fifth day and throw complete games basically every time. But after my first month there, probably. Probably after like seven or eight starts, I was going seven innings minimum. Basically, you went, you went 10 one game, right? Yeah. That's Didn't cool. yeah, 10 shutout. And uh the game every ended. pitching coach is fired for that here. <laughs> yeah. 126 pitches. So I was actually like fairly efficient at 12.6 per yeah. inning. But um it was fun, man. I 
I liked starting and ending my own games in college. I finished my college career with nine straight complete games and jumped into pro ball, pro ball and was immediately like, oh, 100 pitches in the fifth, you're done. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what so what I, year did you get drafted? I should know this. I know you debuted in 12 because we debuted the same year. Yeah, 2011. So you were, okay, I got you. Yeah. Did you go to the fall league in 11? No, so I didn't play. You probably pitched a whole year. So I, yeah, I threw like 130 and then I went and I pitched for five weeks Started in uh, A ball in 2011. Okay. Um, two and a half, three starts there, and then finished up in Double A. Uh, and then I think I threw like 160 total innings that year. So they shut me down. And I went to my first spring training was big league camp in 2012. That's so cool. I had like no idea about spring training, and I was just like rookie guy, first round pick. Like don't know anything about what I'm supposed to be doing. And like, oh, here's a big league clubhouse. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, baptism by fire. Yeah, sure. Oh, well, uh, I uh, I think I regret to inform you, Trev, that uh, I think it's time to get back to training. Uh, I think <laughs> take enough enough of your time. I know you got a long, long, long journey here back to uh, your attempt to rejoin Major League Baseball. So on, both Will and I really appreciate the time you took man. out of your day to to join us here, and uh, wish you the best Thank luck in, in twenty four and beyond, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's fun. Uh, Talking baseball, not something I've gotten to do a whole lot over the past couple of years, so I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome oh, back, man. Let us know. Yeah. yeah. Every every leg day, you can come on. <laughs> I'll get you out of it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.